That was beautiful. What does it take to be ready for Jesus to come? Isn't that a good question? I get that, asked that a lot. I have people say, oh man, if I could just know that I'm ready when Jesus comes. Well, there's a difference between being ready when Jesus comes and obtaining eternal life. Take your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. Familiar text, but we need to read it again. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through what? faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So eternal life is a gift from God that can't be earned by our own efforts. Otherwise we sit there and say, hey, look at me, look what I've done. We're saved by the blood of the Lamb. We like to use that expression a lot, which really means that Jesus is the one who has saved us. I have eternal life through Jesus Christ and his dying on the cross, right? Okay. But the book of Revelation reveals to us those who will be ready when Jesus comes. Those who already realize they have eternal life, but they're ready when Jesus comes. Turn to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14, and we want to look at verse 12. Revelation 14 and verse 12. I have eternal life through Jesus. I can't earn it. It's a gift. I just have to accept the gift. But to be ready is something different. Revelation 14, verse 12 says, Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and have what? The faith of Jesus. Now, at first glance at this text, it's basically telling us that God's people in the last days, just before Jesus comes, have two distinctive attributes. They will keep the commandments of God, not because the commandments will save them, but because they are obedient because they've already been saved by Jesus Christ. And the second thing is they will have the faith of Jesus. Let's look at that faith briefly for a moment. We've already established that we are saved by grace, but it says we are saved by grace through Faith. And Revelation 14 says we will have the faith of Jesus. It's going to be helpful for us to look at Jesus' life and at his example of what he went through as through one of the roughest times of his life. Go now to the Gospel of Mark. 
Mark chapter 14. Mark 14, beginning with verse 32. Mark 14, beginning with verse 32. Then they came to a place which was called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and he found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he had returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane, took the three of his disciples with him, asked them to pray, and they watched him as he fell down on the ground. Luke tells us that when he was in prayer, he was in such agony that he was actually sweating droplets of blood. He was close to death. The pressure was great on him. He was in the midst of tremendous tribulation, great mental agony, And in all of that agony and that emotional pain, Jesus was able to say by faith in his prayer, Nevertheless, not what I want, but what I know you want. It is your plan that I'm going to follow. Great faith is willing to do the will of God during times of great tribulations. We know that before Jesus comes, we're going to face great tribulations because Daniel prophesied that there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. So we know what we're going to face. We know that things are going to get bad. We know by studying the book of Revelation that God's people will no longer at some point be able to buy or sell. We know that the world will turn against God's people. We know that the governments will pass worldwide laws 
to worship the beast, and if you don't worship the beast, you will be killed. This is the tribulation that Daniel was talking about. But look at the promise given in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1. Romans 5. We know things are going to get worse. We're beginning to feel things in this world today with the economy, with the laws being passed that are affecting not only people in the United States but all over the world. We know that the governments have gotten together and they're trying to see what can we do with this, this economy that's taking place all over the world. But look at this promise, beginning Romans 5, verse 1. <clears throat> Therefore, having been justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. Let me read that again. We also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Faith brings hope in the midst of our tribulations. In fact, this tells me that the tribulations that we are experiencing today is what's being used by God to help build our faith in Him. If I, <clears throat> if I am out of a job, by faith I look to Him. Now we've had a church member who was out of a job for two months. Praise God, he has a job today. But he lived those two months through those rough, hard times by faith. So faith brings hope, even in the midst of tribulations and the things that we experience, the hardships. We shouldn't curse our hardships. We are experiencing right now things that God wants us to go through so because He's trying to strengthen our faith because when things get really bad, that's how I'm going to have to face it, just like Jesus did when He was sweating droplets of blood. He's sitting there in great mental agony and He's saying, if there's any other way, let that take place. But nevertheless, by faith I can say, not my will, but Thou will be done. And that's what God's people's going to have to do, is learn how to say that. So we're going to be known by having the faith of Jesus in times of our tribulations. But we will also be known as those who keep the commandments of God. 
Commandments are going to be a big issue at the end of time. Go to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. And we're going to look at verses 6 and 7. Revelation 14, verses 6 and 7. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God, give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made the heaven and earth the sea, and the springs of water. These commandment-keeping people are really going to come out with one commandment that's going to be above all the others. The only commandment that talks about God as being the Creator is what commandment? The Sabbath commandment. God's end-time people will boldly Keep the Sabbath day holy. They will not let anything interfere in keeping that 24-hour period of time because it is sacred to God. It is a holy day. They will not allow the pressures by family members, by friends, by employers, or by government laws destroy their desire to keep the Sabbath day as that holy day. In the last days, we must be known as perfect Sabbath keepers, even during the great time of tribulation. Perfect Sabbath keepers. My faith must be perfect in order to get through the hard times, and I must be a perfect Sabbath keeper. It should be an important part of my life. Go to the Old Testament, to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4. And we want to look at verses 30 and 31. Deuteronomy 4. Verses 30 and 31. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 30, when you are in distress and all things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to ask them. Do you know what that's saying? That is saying that when I go through these rough times, when I'm willing to keep God's commandments, He's going to be there for me. Through this time of distress, through the time of tribulation, whatever you want to call it, through the rough times of my life, He's promised to be there right in my midst. Now, we looked at the two attributes of Revelation. Those God's people will keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. But in 
hidden, embedded in, I use that word embedded now, you know, the reporters are always embedded with the armies over at Iraq. So embedded in that verse is another attribute that we need to look at. Go to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. Beginning with verse 13. Romans 10. Beginning with verse 13. Romans 10:13. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now you know why I'm here. And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Paul asks a very, very good question. How can anyone call upon the name of the Lord if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear without some kind of a preacher telling them? Now I can tell you right now, there are not enough pastors in this denomination to go to every man, woman, and child in this world. I can't do it. So who's supposed to go and to share their faith? Oh, I'm glad you said that. See, he asks this question, who, how can they, how can they know about Jesus if they've never heard about Him? How can they have faith when they don't know anything about Him? They need someone to come to them and to talk to them. But how are they going to do it? Look at Romans 10, verse 17. He gives us the answer. Verse 17. So then faith, talking about those who haven't heard it yet, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. To a person who has never heard about Jesus, he must come in contact with another person who is willing to share their faith in the Word of God. Does that make sense? Think about it. Think about your life. Think about the past. Someone had to be willing to share their faith in words and deeds in order for you to begin to believe in Jesus Christ. Someone had to come in contact with your life. And you may not have had any interest whatsoever in the spiritual realm. You didn't want to read the Bible. You didn't want to hear about Jesus. You didn't want to hear anything. But someone came into your life and by their actions, by something about them, you became attracted and began to ask questions and began to listen. Is that right? Some of you are saying yes. Maybe some of you have never had anyone come into your life. Maybe you don't know about Jesus. I read the end of the book. He wins. 
Amen. So someone has to come. Someone came into our life. Someone had, the first guy, the first Christian that came into my life, other than my dear sweet grandmother, was when I was in the Navy, and this guy would back me in a corner, literally back me in a corner and says, I'm not going to leave until you accept Jesus as your personal Savior. And I'm sitting there in my mind saying, who in the world is this Jesus? And what is he supposed to save me from? And the guy wouldn't tell me. And he wanted me to, and, and uh, I, couldn't, I couldn't say that. I didn't know anything about him. That was the wrong thing. But God has something and someone who is willing to share that I was willing to listen. And it was when I went up to see in Orange County my aunt and uncle who were Seventh-day Adventists. I didn't know anything about Seventh-day Adventists. Do you know what most people think of when, they, when you say the name Seventh-day Adventists? You don't eat pork and you go to church on Saturday. And that's all they know. That's terrible. I hope we can change that reputation. But I didn't even know that much. But it wasn't them preaching to me. It was their actions that spoke to my heart. That roused my curiosity. And wanted me to ask questions and to learn and to listen. Just a couple of years ago, I had my uncle's funeral. I asked my aunt, I said, would you ever have thought back then when this skinny little character came to your house that he would have his uncle's funeral as a pastor? But that's what God can do. That's what needs to take place. So to a person who's never heard, someone needs to come in contact with them. Take a look at John chapter 13. John 13, beginning with verse 33. John 13, beginning with verse 33. Jesus is speaking. He says, Little children, I shall be with you for a little while longer. You will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also loved one another. And by this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. God's commandment-keeping people keep the commandments and have the faith in Jesus and are willing to share with someone else because of love. They realize that Jesus loved them and there's a change in their heart and that love will be the thing that will bring people 
into the fold. It's the love. It's knowing someone who cares about me when I'm going through the rough times. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Love is not just words, but it's actions. I can tell my wife that I love her a hundred times every day, and after a while she'd probably tell me to shut up. But the real evidence of my love for her is in my actions. How I treat her will reveal my love for her. How I treat others is the evidence of the love of Christ within my heart. If people don't know much about Seventh-day Adventists, it's because we have not shown them the true love of Jesus. And the fault lies with us, not with Christ. We have to reveal the love of Christ to other people so they'll be willing to listen. We have to show them that we care. I've got to read you a news article sent to me by my niece. It comes from the Associated Press, and to me... This is Christian discipleship in action. Listen to this, I quote. I hope I can get through this without crying. Because the first time I read it, I got so many tears I couldn't read it anymore. And I had to read it through five times last night to try to stop the tears. So bear with me. It didn't matter that the DeKalb, Illinois high school basketball team had ridden a bus two and a half hours to get to Milwaukee, then waited another hour in order to play their game. It didn't matter that the game was a close one or that this was the last chance for DeKalb to beat a big city team. Something else was on the coach's mind when he asked for a volunteer to shoot two free throws awarded to his team on a technical foul in the second quarter. His senior team captain raised his hand, ready to go to the line and shoot the two shots, as he had many times before. But this time it was different. The DeKalb coach whispered in the senior's ear, you realize you're going to miss both shots, don't you? The senior nodded his head. He understood what had to be done. This was the third and final basketball game of that year between these two schools who were developing a friendly rivalry that spanned the two states. But this third game almost never took place. Hours earlier, the mother of the senior captain on the rival Milwaukee team died at a local hospital. 
She had lost a five-year battle with cervical cancer. Her son, John Tell Franklin, and several other teammates and his coach were at the hospital late that afternoon when the decision was made to turn off the life support system of the 39-year-old mother. The Milwaukee coach knew his team captain was very distraught over the decision, and he didn't have time to grieve the loss of his mom. So the coach decided he was going to cancel the game. But the young Franklin told him he wanted the team to play. And play they did, even though the game started an hour late without their team captain. Early in the second quarter, the Milwaukee coach saw someone out of the corner of his eye. It was John Tell Franklin who came there directly from the hospital to root his teammates on to victory. The Milwaukee coach called a sudden timeout. And the teammates went over and hugged their grieving captain. Even the fans came down out of the stands to the basketball court and hugged John Tell. The coach asked John Tell if he wanted to come and sit on the bench with the rest of his team. He said, no. I want to play. There was just one problem. Since John Tell wasn't on the pre-game roster, putting him in the game meant drawing a technical two-point foul that would give the DeKalb team two free throws and a possibility of winning the game. Though it was a tight game, the Milwaukee coach was willing to give up the two points. It was more important to help his senior captain deal with his grief by playing than to take the two, than to take, not get the two points. Over on the decalb bench, the coach wasn't so willing to take the two free throw shots. He told the referees to forget the technical foul. We don't want to take the shots and just let the kid play. The refs stood there and told him that they had to play by the rules and they had to take the two shots. That's when the DeKalb coach asked for volunteers and his team captain raised his hand. The DeKalb player went alone to the free throw line, dribbled the ball a couple of times, looked at the basket and aimed very carefully. His first attempt sent the ball two feet in front of him and bounced a couple of times. The second shot, again, he dribbled, he aimed, and the ball barely left his hand. It didn't take long for the Milwaukee players to figure out what was going on. 
the team stood, turned towards the decal bench, and started applauding and cheering the gesture of love and friendship. Soon, everyone in the stands stood up and applauded the DeKalb team. The DeKalb senior said, I did it for the guy who lost his mom. It was the right thing to do. The DeKalb team went all the way back home with a loss. But it was a trip they'll never forget. To me, this was love in action. It wasn't love of words, of saying, oh, I'm sorry. It was an entire rival team in action that showed that they loved and cared for this man, this young man, who was going through great tribulation, great mental agony. This is what I think of when Jesus gave us the new commandment to love others. Brothers and sisters, it's time that we started practicing this kind of love within our church. The best place to start is with our own church members. We have members right now who are battling cancer. They and their families need love from their church. We have sitting in our church single moms who are struggling to raise their children and to keep food on their tables. It's not just food that they need, it's love that they need. They need love from the church. We have widows who are grieving the loss of their spouses. They need the love of their church. Look at the person next to you. That person needs love. It's time to reach out and to touch someone and to show them the new commandment that Jesus gave to us to love one another just as He loved us. All of God's disciples are to keep the commandments of God. And that includes the eleventh commandment to love others, as Jesus said, that new commandment. And we are to have the faith of Jesus. That means we are to demonstrate that faith by our love. And because of that, people are going to respond to this church because this church loves one another. See, we're going to need that when we go through our tribulation time. We're going to need to have people praying for us. We're going to need physical contact with our brothers and our sisters. We're going to need someone to reach out to us and to touch us. And it's like Jesus himself reaching out and feeling his touch. You see, when I go through the rough times of my life right now, it's to build my faith 
in Jesus. And because of that, when I see someone within the church or in my home or in my community that's going through a rough time, I'm going to reach out to them and love them just like Jesus loved me through my rough time. Does that make sense? I am to be a perfect Sabbath keeper. I am to be a person with perfect faith. And I am a person who is to demonstrate the perfect love of Christ in my life. And if I'm not doing those things, I will not be ready when Jesus comes. I won't make it through the time of tribulation. Because I've got to stand up for the Sabbath. I've got to have faith through the hard times when the rest of the world turns against me. And I've got to show to the world, like Jesus says, to even love my enemies. I don't know if that basketball team was full of Christians. If it was a Christian school, it doesn't make any difference to me. They demonstrated the true love of Christ in their actions. And I bet even the people sitting in the stands will never, ever forget that game. They'll never remember the score. They'll never remember the names of the people. But they'll remember the love for the rest of their lives. That's what we as a church must do to be ready when Jesus comes. That's what we as a church must do to help others to be ready when Jesus comes. It's time to start seeking the lost and showing them the true love of Jesus. Hymn number 373. Stand together as we sing 373.
we're willing to keep the commandments of God, which includes the Sabbath, and to be perfect in our Sabbath keeping. We're willing to exercise our faith, the faith of Jesus. And we will do both of them when we reach out in love to each other. Lord, may the spirit of love, which is one of the fruits of the spirit, may it shine forth in us as it has never shown before. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.